Welcome to Maryland's Anglican Media, where you can listen to sermons, devotionals, and other media from Maryland's Anglican Church. We hope you enjoy. Marriage has become quite a controversial subject. So controversial that I had to send out an email during the week so that people could prepare themselves for today's talk. In many ways, I'm happy to do that because it is good to prepare ourselves for today's difficult subject. More importantly, though, I think it's good to prepare ourselves to hear from God's Word. Yes, we have to be careful how we might speak around children, but we also have to be prepared to engage with God's Word, to let God speak to us through His Word, and to let God challenge and change us as we submit to his word. This is no different today than it was in Jesus' day. The subject of divorce and remarriage was just as controversial, and the people of Jesus' day did not always follow God's word. They would sometimes even use God's word to promote something different to what God had intended. Now the controversial subject that we are looking at today is divorce and remarriage. In Australia, the first big change in the Marriage Act was not same-sex marriage, but no-fault divorce, which happened in 1975. Before that, there, were, there had to be a reason for divorce, such as abandonment, abuse or adultery. Today, you do not need a drastic reason to divorce, you just need both people to agree to divorce. This change has made it much easier for people to divorce and the divorce rates have gone up ever since. In Jesus' day, the controversy around divorce and remarriage was about how easy or how hard it was for a man to divorce his wife. In Deuteronomy 24, Moses wrote about divorce and said, this is from verse 1, If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her, and sends, it to, sends her from his house. The issue was around words like displeasing, indecent and dislikes which are found in Deuteronomy 24 verses 1 to 4. Traditionally the woman would have to have been involved in something like very seriously shameful or indecent like adultery or immodesty to be divorced by her husband. But then people started to put the emphasis on displeasing and dislikes and there are recorded instances of women being divorced because they spoilt the evening meal. Some even say burnt the toast. Or the man found someone else he preferred. Divorce had become so much easier with this new understanding and the Pharisees came to Jesus to question him on the controversial issue of divorce. Matthew chapter 19 verse 3 Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? 
It is interesting that the Pharisees were trying to test, possibly even trap Jesus in this controversy. Jesus had been away for a while and maybe they had spent that time coming up with a plan to trap him, discredit him or even execute him like John the Baptizer had been. One of the things we can forget is that Jesus had already spoken on this subject in the Sermon on the Mount. So in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5 from verse 31, it has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. Verse 32, but I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So on the subject of divorce, Jesus had already said that divorce is all about adultery. But he had not spoken about all the other reasons why well, people might divorce their wife. That is why the Pharisees asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? They wanted a legal debate. They wanted to know how Jesus would interpret the any and every reason part of the divorce law. But Jesus was not a lawyer and he was not interested in being trapped in a legal debate, so Jesus did not bother arguing over the law of Moses. He went back to God's intention for marriage. When I was teaching high school scripture, some students would just randomly say that I hated homosexuals. This was nothing more than a ploy to distract the class and bait me into a debate. For a few weeks I simply ignored the statement and got on with the lesson, but the class started to become vitriolic and say nasty things in order to get my reaction. I ended up telling them that I would not be willing to talk about my thoughts on homosexuality until after I had talked about God's view on marriage. We then spent three weeks uh, in 50-minute lessons, period lessons, talking about the biblical view of marriage and the homosexuality issue was no longer an issue. In much the same way, before he talked about divorce, Jesus talked about God's intention for marriage. Understanding God's intention for marriage would help people understand the issue of divorce without having to get into the Mosaic law on divorce. Matthew 19 from verse 4 Haven't you read, Jesus replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female, and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together, let no one separate. Jesus began by looking at the basic ideas of the one flesh principle behind marriage. They are to be male and female, from separate families and independent to each other before coming together in the one flesh union, which is meant to last a lifetime. 
This is seen in the words, therefore what God has joined together, let no one separate. Or as the older versions say, let man not separate. The intention of marriage is that it is between two people until they are parted by death. Not by divorce, not by separation, but by death. And did you notice that the man was not to separate what God has joined together? But which man? I've often thought of a third party entering into the relationship who would come along and tear the marriage apart. But the Pharisees' question, well, it was, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And Jesus' answer was, what God has joined together, let man not separate. The man should not separate from his wife, for God has joined them together. The intention of marriage is found in the one flesh principle. It is the basis for Jesus' understanding of marriage and divorce and remarriage. For Jesus, God joins the two people together as one for life. Well, the Pharisees were not happy with Jesus' answer. He went to the intention behind marriage and pointed out that the husband and wife should not separate as they are one flesh. But the Pharisees wanted details about divorce law. Matthew 19 verse 7. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? If they are not supposed to separate, then why is there a law about divorce? Jesus' answer was that it was designed, it was not designed to be this way. People are not meant to divorce. But because people's hearts were hard and they don't live God's way, then a divorce law was introduced. In other words, divorce can and does happen. But that was never the intention. The intention was for people to enter one flesh relationship for life when they got married. Now before I read you Jesus' explanation of this from Matthew's Gospel, I want, you, I want to read it to you from Mark and Luke's Gospels. You see, they have the same kind of statements but they are slightly different. In Mark chapter 10, from verse 11, Jesus answered them. This is the same question. Anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. Now this is similar to Luke's version. Luke chapter 16 from verse 18. Anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery. And the man who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. The surprising thing about Mark and Luke's version is that Jesus' main message about, divor about marriage, divorce and remarriage is that divorce leads to adultery. 
Not that adultery leads to a divorce. For Jesus, the one flesh principle of marriage is that the husband and wife are meant to be united for life. He holds such a high position on this that he says that if you divorce and marry someone else, you have committed adultery. And so for Jesus, divorce leads to adultery and the breakdown of the one flesh principle. But Matthew's version of the same story is slightly different. It contains what some people call an exception clause. Matthew 19 verse 9 I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. Did you see it? The exception clause is sexual immorality. For many people this means that if the husband or wife have an affair then they have broken the one flesh marriage. Therefore the person who did not have the affair can issue a divorce certificate and get married to someone else. But I wonder if we are starting to look at what Jesus said in much the same way that the Pharisees in Jesus' day were looking at what Moses said. Are we looking for a way to get what we want? Or are we looking at God's intention for marriage and applying it to our lives? So why does Matthew include this exception clause in his gospel when Mark and Luke do not? Well, I have done a lot of thinking about this, and I can see how there is a good basis for saying that adultery breaks the one flesh relationship and gives you grounds for divorce. But it is rather limiting. What happens if the woman is being abused or abandoned? Is there no exception clause for her? Is she trapped? So why did Matthew include this particular exception clause when the other gospel writers did not? Maybe it has something to do with someone, else's, uh, someone else in Matthew's gospel who nearly divorced his fiancée and would have been considered right to do so. Way back in Matthew chapter 1, from verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child, through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Joseph was betrothed to Mary. To break that betrothal meant that he had to have real grounds for divorce. Mary being pregnant when Joseph had not had sex with her, well, that's pretty good grounds for divorce, and he had every right to go through divorce proceedings. But you also have to note that during the betrothal period, the couple were not to have sex. They were not married yet, and so they were not in a one flesh relationship. That means that the divorce of an engaged couple could not be based on adultery, but on sexual immorality or misconduct, or another old-fashioned word for it is fornication, which is sex before 
marriage. So if we go back to Matthew 19 verse 9, we note that Jesus used two different words here. At the end of the verse, he used the word adultery to describe the man who marries another woman after, having, after divorcing his wife. But the word that is translated as sexual immorality, or in the older NIV's marital unfaithfulness, which I think is the wrong way of interpreting it, is actually the word for fornication, or sex before marriage. That's the way it's used in every other passage. And so the exception that Jesus gave could well be understood as divorce during the betrothal period, before they were married, not after they were married, because once the couple is married and they become one flesh, then the way to describe an extramarital affair is with the word adultery. I know it sounds technical, but I think it fits with Jesus' basic way of looking for the intention behind the law of marriage, divorce and remarriage. It also sets the bar high for marriage, divorce and remarriage. But it does not limit the exception only to adultery. By looking at the exception clause as fornication before marriage, you suddenly are able to open up the issue of finding grounds for divorce for the person who is trapped in an abusive or abandonment situation. Jesus clearly does not go down the any and every reason path for divorce. <laughs> and the disciples, they jokingly say in chapter 19 verse 10, if this is the situation between a husband and wife, it is better not to marry. In other words, if marriage is for life, then it is better not to marry. One person in my Bible study group said that you might be tempted to give death a helping hand if you were stuck in a marriage you didn't like. But of course, there is another option. The other option is for you both to work really hard at your marriage. It takes total commitment from the man and the woman to make the marriage work, and you have to be willing to put in the effort. Go to marriage counselling, do marriage courses, work at relating to each other. Be prepared to show each other other person-centred love, or sacrificial love, so that you do what is best for the building up of the, of the one flesh relationship, rather than what you want to get out of the relationship. Work on strengthening the principles of the one flesh relationship and the intention behind it rather than looking for a way out. Now at this point I would expect some of you to be thinking but what about my friend whose husband was a jerk and had affairs with a number of women at the office or what about the person who gets abused are you saying that they should just stay and cop it? Or what about the spouse who just walks out? You can't force them to stay if they don't want to. It's true. There are some marriages that cannot be reconciled. There are times when we ought to save people from the damage that their spouses are inflicting upon them. There are occasions where we have to apply divorce proceedings, but that doesn't diminish the one flesh principle behind marriage. In fact, it demonstrates how severe the damage is when the one flesh relationship is broken. 
the breaking of the one flesh relationship is like trying to pull apart two pieces of paper that well they've been glued together and you try doing that and see what happens the prizing apart of the one flesh relationship tears at the very souls and causes the couple their families and even the community around them great harm as a church we ought to be doing everything we can to support people who are feeling the emotional scars of marriage breakdown and divorce we need to do our best to bring healing to this situation the final point I want to make is that marriage teaches us a lot about repentance forgiveness reconciliation and healing for those who are married and you take your one flesh principles seriously then you will need to be working on reconciliation you will hurt each other at some point because each of us are sinful when you sin against your spouse you need to be willing to repent to seek forgiveness and restore the relationship if your spouse has wronged you then you need to be willing to forgive to accept your responsibility in the relationship and also seek reconciliation without because without reconciliation the marriage will slowly disintegrate and decay you see a marriage is never stagnant it is always either growing stronger or becoming weaker people who believe in one flesh marriage need to work at making their marriage stronger for those of you who are divorced I want to acknowledge the pain you have gone through some of you may have faced terrible ordeals which led to your divorce and you may have done everything you could to try and make it work but your spouse refused to do the right thing it seems to me that you will be in need of healing and you may need to learn how to forgive if there is any way of reconciling even if it's not total reconciliation especially if either of you have remarried then you should still pursue that even though I know that it's not always possible you may also need to learn how to forgive even if the other person doesn't want to receive forgiveness that way you can let go of the hurt to some degree for those of you who are remarried you might be worried about feeling judged after this sermon I hope you don't that is not the point of my preaching today but if you feel the need to seek forgiveness from God then go to him if you need help with that then see me then you need to do all you can to make your new one flesh relationship work lastly to those of you who have lost your spouse through death I know that hurts all I can say is that you ask God for healing let's pray Heavenly Father this is this has been a controversial subject for generations Jesus day it was controversial today it's controversial the subject of divorce and remarriage it's painful it raises up all kinds of emotions people are seriously hurt at times 
pray for us to be able to support one another. And when I say support, Lord, help us not to be just asking for permission to do whatever we want to do, but to support each other in the big decisions of life that help us live your way. May we show love and care. May we help to bring healing. And may we trust in you in all that we do. We ask for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.